Welcome back to the Digiday podcast. I'm Michael Berge, Senior Editor of Media Buying and Planning with Digiday, and we're coming to you from the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity here in Cannes, France. Today is our last podcast from Cannes. It's a little bit rainy outside. It's a bit more of a dreary day than you usually expect to get in Cannes, but uh, it's not going to be dreary with the conversation I'm about to have with our guest today. Joining us today is Rob Pierre, the CEO of Jellyfish, which is uh, kind of your non-traditional holding company or agency network. Um, Rob created the agency back in 2005 and has really taken it in novel and new directions. And uh, I'm really delighted to have you here with us today, Rob. Thank you for having me. Pleasure's mine. Let's start with a quick description of Jellyfish because I think of it as a very non-traditional agency network. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how you started it and why you take the approach you do. So Jellyfish, yes, actually, we are the opposite of what you would expect from the holding companies and the networks. So um, I think we've got that critical mass, we've got global scale, but the difference is we genuinely operate as one global P&L. So even through our acquisition trail, if ever we acquire a business, they instantly get integrated into Jellyfish. Um, we have no separate P&Ls for those entities, no earnouts. So literally everybody joins the company and homogenizes with the whole organization that we've got it today. We also don't have any regional P&Ls. So we don't even have that cross-charging or um, people who are responsible for specific regions. So it eradicates all those pockets of resource, but also the, the um, limitation where you cannot leverage all of those skills and capabilities and services that you have across the globe. Um, and yeah, and it gives us this very unique one jellyfish approach, which um, a lot of the holding companies are potentially reverse engineering to get to where we are. Yeah we've got the privilege of having built it from the ground up in that way. So, yeah. Um, sounds, sounds like quite the advantage to have. Um, there are a couple of other competitors that I, I see kind of, whether they're emulating your mold or trying to just create their own mold. I'm thinking specifically of S4. Do you feel any kind of competitive heat from some of these newer rivals as opposed to the traditional holding companies, which it feels like you've consciously moved away from? So we've moved the model away from the, the holding companies and the network agencies, but they are exactly who we're competing with. Yeah. So that's quite interesting. And in actual fact, um, what S4 is doing, Sir Martin Sorrell, he's got the loudest um, voice in Adland, and he's saying all the right things. You know, we're talking about um, you've got to think about your first party data. You've, um, you've got to leverage your creative. You've got to have the digital media buying capabilities across all of the platforms. And that's exactly what we do. So the sort of new age partners that are coming through the system are the ones that I think are the future. That's where the puck is going. Mm -hmm. And the networks will get there and they do have a plethora of talent and they have the ability to do it, but they've also got the legacy mindset infrastructures that they are slowly but surely um, getting fit for purpose for where the world is today. Um, so I'm very respectful of everybody out there. And yes, there's heat, there's competition, but in actual fact, we're getting to the point where um, I think where normally we would have a 20% chance. So we might go into a pitch process with five, Four of them would be network or holding companies mm -hmm. and us. Okay. And, and what looks like a 20% chance actually isn't because they, they're thinking, well, we might take one of the four or jellyfish. So it's turned into a 50-50, but we just need that 
that, um, those brands to be brave and say, this is the time and um, we need to actually have a company that's built for today, ready for tomorrow, that can take us into the next era. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you're built uh, for tomorrow. What One thing I found really, really fascinating about your approach at Jellyfish is you see the platforms as important as your clients. Again, I've never heard any agency CEOs say anyone is as important as clients. It's right. always the clients come number one. Right. You believe the platforms are just as important to partner. Talk a bit about that strategy and how it's worked for you. Right. It, it sort of started with us thinking that we would love our clients to treat us like partners, not vendors. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, if that's what we would like for us, you know, we can't treat our vendors any differently. And then when I realized to myself that, hang on a sec, I'm calling my clients, I want my clients to be partners, and then I want my vendors to be partners, and then it became apparent that if they're both partners, why would you treat them any differently? Yep. So in the end, we started to realize, well, let's find out what markets are strategically important to them. Let's get all of the certification. Let's actually deliver an exemplary level of service and a quality of outcome and delivery um, with what we do with our partners. And so there was no distinction. And then I realized that actually they're really big and by proxy, we could leverage their brand equity and their trust. And if our partners see us as the number one um, solution for their clients' needs or the advertisers' needs, then we start getting recommended and we start doing great work. We build use cases and it becomes self-perpetuating. So, um, yeah, I actually, I think our business turned around when we decided, as an example, to treat Google like our best client. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Um, it also sounds very egalitarian. I mean, when you're all kind of at the same level, you don't have to worry as much about the, 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 the process or, or whatever. In fact, you, you mentioned just before we started recording this that, uh, you know, being here, some, in some ways you're treated like the client. How does that feel? Yes, it's it's strange. I've got a whole week. Yes, I've seen um, a couple of clients, but predominantly it's all meetings where, in the traditional sense, I'm treated as the client, which is fantastic, actually. Good, good. Well, that uh, sounds like a, a wonderful side uh, uh, fringe benefit of being a can. Indeed. The one question I have about that kind of platforms as partners approach is they are under a lot more pressure and scrutiny than ever before. Does that make you reconsider at all the way you've kind of gone about it? It sounds like it's been pretty successful, but, you know, platforms are going through some changes that perhaps nobody saw coming five years ago. Any thoughts on that? But completely the opposite. That's why we're needed. So the communication, adapting, making sure you understand whether it's um, privacy or whether it's around the formats, whether it's brand, yeah, brand safety. It's there's so many subjects and things that they have to take responsibility for and accountability, and they are. I mean, it's very difficult to get the balance right. Where um, on one hand, um, they would well, people, and um, we want the platforms to be accountable and to measure for brand safety, but on the other side, we're trying to fight for privacy. So it's a, it's a real catch-22 for the platforms, but we're here to help them, and therefore, with advertisers and bridge that gap. So I want to ask you a little bit about kind of the, the, the latest, hottest innovation in digital, which is, you know, everyone's talking about Web3 and the metaverse. Um, to me, it feels like marketers are way ahead of this than consumers are. 
I'd love to know your your thoughts on it and how much Jellyfish is thinking about it, embracing it. When we talked in the, uh, earlier in the year, you had brought up the metaverse, and I think you were one of the first people to mention it to me. So right. wondering where, where you stand on that. Yeah, I th- we're just preparing ourselves because if advertising is the monetization of attention, we're just going to figure out where everyone's attention is going to be. And it's much harder to grab someone's attention um, because it's so disparate. It's on so many different platforms, on different devices for very short periods of time. So, um, but where are people going to spend? Where are the eyeballs going to be in the future? So we're thinking the metaverse is one of them where people um, Cohen inhabit a, a digital and an analog world. And uh, um, we just don't know how that's going to work out at the moment. So all it is is making sure that we have ways to get messages and get engagement where people are spending that time. Do you have any of that expertise in any part of the world uh, that 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 already is kind of like playing around with it and testing it? Because I think, you know, consumer adoption isn't at any point yet where this can be a real like game changer for marketers. But I imagine you've got expertise already in-house working and playing. So as for expertise, I think our expertise will be understanding which partners we need to be working with. Mm-hmm. So for example, I sat with the, the guys from Super League and they were talking about having a DSP that allows you to advertise in the metaverse, in Roblox, the platform. And so for example, you could literally advertise on the t-shirts of the people walking around within this metaverse environment. And you know, the word metaverse, as we, we discussed last time, I think it's just a wrapper for a lot of the things that have already been happening. You look at some of the augmented reality, for example, with um, what Meta has been doing with Instagram, where you could go to the Ray-Ban store on Instagram, choose a pair of sunglasses, and it jumps off. You, you look through the camera, it jumps off the page onto your face, and you can see how it looks. That's the type of sort of augmented reality and interaction that will all be wrapped up within the mm-hmm. metaverse. It's not just that, that the virtual reality where you're walking around in another world, like... Without any legs. Without any legs. <laughs> which is a really part. strange idea. It's, it's all very strange, which is also a really strange thing that apparently, you know, even like in Horizon's um, world, meta giving you the ability to have a space, a safe space around you because oh. people are feeling invaded in the Met, virtually, people are invading their space. Oh, gosh. Isn't that incredible? So, well, you know, you, you've got the potential for the best of humanity, and then you've got the potential for the worst of humanity when uh, kind of, you know, physical limitations are taken away. So. Exactly right. I'd love to also ask you about kind of the, the, the changing direction of e-commerce. At the beginning of the pandemic, e-commerce just took off. I mean, as, as I think we, we discussed earlier in the year, you know, five years of growth in the space of five months. Everything was just rocketed up. Already the world of e-commerce is changing in that it's become so much more an integral part of any marketer's plans of how to reach consumers. Um, but it's also kind of maturing a little bit. So do you do you approach e-commerce any differently? How do you uh, kind of put that to use for any of your clients and partners? Yeah, so it's a specific steering group and leadership group we've got in our organization to build our e-commerce solution, which is uh, like in a modular way, a collection of multiple services and products that we offer, but specifically to provide the right solution for Mm -hmm. brands and platforms and and, uh, marketplaces. So, and what we see, it's a bit like how I would describe digital marketing. 
there's no, you know, you shouldn't even really be using that term nowadays. It's right. just marketing in a, in digital. a digital world. Yep. You yep. know, it's as simple as that. And I think that e-commerce is like that. It's really just commerce in a digital world. Okay. So really understanding how could you leverage technology, data, how could you engage with your customers, how could you make it a seamless experience, no matter where you want to actually investigate um, the product or service and purchase that product or service. Again, it's just making sure that you've got all the infrastructure, the technology, um, the process, the methodology, the user experience to make it seamless, no yeah. matter whether it's in, in the physical world or digital. So that's what we're seeing happening. And that's what our team are set out to make sure we can support brands and all of the platforms to make that experience. Okay. Um, love to know a little bit about uh, any ideas of geographic expansion. Any parts of the world where you think you'd like to keep growing or that you feel kind of just a little underdeveloped still? And I know you do it all as one P&L, which I, again, I find really fascinating. Um, so once you kind of enter in a, a new region, it just becomes part of jellyfish as opposed to jellyfish, you know, APAC or something. Right. Any any parts of the world that you look into expanding? It's just China now, I would say, yeah. because, um, because- How hard is that? Um, it's very tricky. Um, we're, we're talking to a partner right now. We do partner with them um, when working on accounts that require activity in China. Um, it is tricky. It, we are looking at acquisitions. Um, and I, I think that's the real only way we would enter into that market. Some others, we've done it organically, where you just get the MD, you get the, the, the first person right, and then the rest um, takes care of itself. Um, some we've done through acquisition, like in Australia, in Mexico, in Colombia, in Brazil. Um, so it, yeah, it just depends on uh, how we're utilizing that resource. Is there any specialism? Some of our regions have different strategic imperatives. So, um, for example, in the low index regions like Mexico and India, South Africa, we have support centers. So their primary objective is to build out the capabilities and the skills to support the global activity. But like the US, Paris, London, um, they all can help get those global clients and that's their primary objective is to bring the client on board, but yeah. then we still can facilitate it across the globe. So we're here in, at the Cannes Lions. Um, this is obviously a festival of creativity, but it's a festival of media, of digital, of pretty much everything marketing has to offer. Uh, what's your experience been so far? Have you been able to absorb any of like the cool work from around the world? And, and what do you hope to get out of being at Cannes Lions? Being around everyone is the is the key to being here at Cannes. And actually, you get time with the most senior stakeholders and the decision makers within the industry. That's what I get out of Cannes, personally. Um, as for creativity, we do bring in like our brand planners, etc. And they are more likely to be attending the events where you're absorbing the, the traditional um, creativity and advertising um, benefits of, of Cannes. Um, but for me, it's definitely partner meetings, um, senior meetings, and uh, that's where I get the most benefit personally. And and it's relentless, you know, it's like one <laughs> yeah. after the other. And then within that, there's the serendipitous meetings um, that you add on top of the scheduled ones. It's, it's just a fantastic experience for that reason. It's funny, everyone we've spoken to this week, their number one thing that they get out of Cannes is seeing people again and meeting in real life. It's almost as if last year's Cannes Lions didn't happen, even though it did, but it was virtual. So 
I think everyone's delighted to be back. Well, it's great to see you in person, Rob. Thank you for joining me and uh, have a great rest of your can. Thank you very much. Yeah, great to see you too. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. It's been real fun doing several podcasts from here in lovely Cannes, France. Wishing you all a great rest of the week and a great rest of the year. Signing off, Michael Berge with Digiday. Thank you.